Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is everything you need for tips, tricks, and things to just be generally awesome. I'm your host, Amanda. And I'm your host, Claire. And this is RDH Bites. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of RDH Bites. This is Amanda Mitchell hosting today, and we have an amazing guest, someone I'm very close with and so excited to be interviewing today. Mrs. Lisa Mayo is going to share some expertise with us about biostatistics. And Lisa, she's graduated from Baylor College of Dentistry in Dallas, Texas, uh, with her bachelor's in dental hygiene, and then from Ohio University with her master's degree in healthcare administration. She's on faculty at her alma mater, Texas A&M University College of Dentistry in Dallas, Texas, in the dental hygiene department. She's very active in her community. And Lisa, we're so excited to have you back today. Thank you so much. Oh, great to be here, Amanda. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to be hitting a heavy topic. We're going to be talking about biostatistics. And specifically in this podcast, I want to talk about descriptive statistics. Okay, so when you said biostats, I got a little freaked out because that's a huge subject, right? But today, only descriptive. All right, I think I can handle that. So how does knowledge of descriptive statistics impact dental professionals? Why are we talking about this today? Well, I got to say, as a clinically practicing dental hygienist and a faculty member as well, you know, I spend a lot of time reading a lot of different publications. And the number of publications that healthcare providers have access to, especially in the United States, is enormous. In the United States alone, uh, they make a total uh, investment in healthcare research that's increased tenfold since 1970. And we spend about 60. About $6,500 million in the United States on healthcare research. And as a clinically practicing dental hygienist, you know, we are lifelong learners. That is really our goal. And we're constantly trying to find and read through research to try to stay current with our practice standards and clinical changes. I mean, for example, when I graduated from dental hygiene school, I mean, the, the thought of using a dental laser as an adjunct to non-surgical periodontal therapy and debridement was just not even a thought in anybody's mind. And now that's something widely practiced and widely taught in dental and dental hygiene programs throughout the world now. So, you know, a basic knowledge of research statistics is going to aid everybody listening to this podcast when they become dental clinicians. And it's going to help them recognize quality studies versus studies that have allowed bias or propaganda into their methodology. And it's especially important for an RDH who's looking to make changes in their clinical practice, which I had to do as a clinically practicing hygienist. I had to integrate lasers into my practice about 2006, 2007, and that was about five or six years after I got out of dental hygiene school. Wow. So I think you bring up a really great point here in the age of the internet. We have so many resources available to us, and how are we going to determine what we should use to change our practices, what we should be implementing, and what's out of date? So what exactly are we talking about when we say descriptive statistics? What are what are statistics? Let's just start there in a broad, broad focus. 
So there's actually three types of statistics that are used, uh, particularly in healthcare research. The three that we use the most frequently, well, the most frequently used is the topic for today, which is descriptive statistics, but there's also correlative and inferential. And just a quick definition of the two we're not really going into today, just so you understand the difference between the three. Correlative statistics establishes relationships between two variables. It will help identify causal relationships, predict clinical outcomes, and we really use it to prove validity and reliability of our research outcomes. Okay, so would it be fair to say, you know, correlative, correlate is the root of the word here, and the word relate is in correlate. So we're using these kind of statistics to relate variables to each other. Absolutely. Yeah. How do two things compare to one another? That That's absolutely on the money. Awesome. Now, inferential statistics, we use that to test a hypothesis. So in healthcare research, we usually start with a null hypothesis And then we invest time, energy, and money into these research designs. And what we're trying to do is um, test that hypothesis. We're actually trying to disprove that null hypothesis. And then what researchers want to do is they want to take the results of that research, of that small sample population, take those results, and then um, generalize them to the population. So the results that they found could that be generalized to everybody in the United States or everybody throughout the world? Okay, so we can say that infer, another uh, term for infer is an assumption, right? So using inferential statistics, we're making assumptions based on the data that we can apply to larger groups of people than just that sample size for a study. Yes, absolutely. And that's usually the part of statistics that can be challenging to learn because that's where so much mathematical computations comes into play is during inferential statistics. I can calculate Cal and that's about it. That's as far as my (laughs) math skills take me. (laughs) Yeah. So today's topic of descriptive statistics is, um, you know, a little bit, I find it easier to understand as a clinically practicing practitioner, because I use descriptive statistics every day in clinical practice. And I'm I'm definitely want to give you guys the definition of this so you can kind of follow what I'm saying. Uh, Now, descriptive statistics describes the characteristics of data. So basically, we get a bunch of data points, and we want to kind of compare and contrast things together. We want to condense that data, condense the research and the values that we have found, and we want to figure out what is quote-unquote typical. What was the average finding? How does one finding compare to the other? And so this way we can take data and we can actually give it meaning. Awesome. Okay, so descriptive statistics are my personal favorite because we can make really nice visuals using this type of statistics. So when students are writing papers or professionals or educators are writing articles for peer review, this is a great way to present data in a way that's friendly to everyone. I think another thing that is really important about descriptive statistics is that we need them to be, you know, we have to be able to repeat and reproduce the same outcomes based on our 
our methods and our interventions, and that's what makes it reliable. So my little sidebar here, my little example that I'm thinking of in my head, everybody's obsessed with true crime documentaries now, right? We're watching all these horrific documentaries on Netflix. (laughs) And how do we visually represent a criminal? We make a drawing of them and we show it to the general public, right? But the more descriptive information we have when making a composite of a criminal's profile, the better. So, you know, Lisa, you could say, oh, that person had glasses. And I could say, no, they weren't wearing glasses, but they had a hood, right? So these two things aren't the same. So our data was not reliable. And this is why a lot of times we have to do multiple studies before we can generalize this information and apply it to our patients. Absolutely. Especially when you're talking about making changes to clinical practice, we really want to make sure that the choices that we make are based on sound research, reliable, repeatable findings from study to study, no matter who's conducting it, no matter who's describing what the criminal looks like, (laughs) you know, everybody should be describing somebody that looks somewhat the same glasses versus no glasses is very different description. So I could give you a healthcare example Great. as yes. well to kind of piggyback off this. You know, we use descriptive statistics. Students, you use it every day that you go to clinic. One of the first things that you do on your patient is you take vitals. You take a blood pressure. And so that blood pressure means something to us, doesn't it? It means something to you. But the blood pressure by itself with no data, with no descriptive statistics that has been done over decades means nothing. It's just a number. It's just a value. What we need to know as clinicians is what is quote unquote, a normal blood pressure. You know, the American Heart Association, we know sets ranges for what is considered prehypertension, stage one, stage two, et cetera. And, you know, Amanda, you and I have been practicing long enough that we have seen these American Heart Association standards change multiple times. You know, this might be an exaggeration, but I feel like just when I was in school, it changed twice. (laughs) (laughs) And now as an educator, we're going over elevated instead of pre-hypertension. And then we have stage one, stage two, hypertensive crisis. And I'm thinking, how many different categories are we going to end up with? And, you know, I mean, there are just so many that a patient could fit into. Absolutely. And how how did AHA come up with that? Well, it came up with that for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even more have been spent trying to figure out what is quote unquote normal, what keeps people healthy, what do we need to be concerned with? And they would have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on descriptive statistical analysis to try to figure that out, to make the number that you got on your patient mean something. And in descriptive statistics, there's actually... Um, three different types of descriptive statistics, and they analyze and group data in different ways. And it's great to have these different ways uh, based on what I want to know as a clinician. You have measures of central tendency, standard scores and normal distributions is the second, and the third is measures of dispersion. And today, I'm only going to focus on measures of central tendency. And in future podcasts, we may go over the other two. 
So measures of central tendency are what we know and what you have learned in school as your mean, median, and mode. And they tell researchers what are, quote, average findings. And that demonstrates that data. And it tries to figure out where that data is around the midpoint of findings, meaning what's like your average finding and then what findings were way, way, way higher or way, way, way lower. And somewhere in the middle, you're going to come up with a quote unquote average or typical value. Gotcha. Okay. So why don't we dig in a little bit and go over these? First, I would really like to go over mode actually the best place to start <laughs> because mode is really like the simplest of the three <laughs> because right. mode is defined as the most frequently occurring number in a set of data. So you conducted a research, you got all this data, the mode is going to be the most frequently occurring number in all the values that you got. So mode is a useful statistical figure when researchers are collecting what we call nominal data which is why mode is kind of the easiest one of the three to understand. Um, but just as a reminder, nominal data is data that is gathered through observations, observations belonging to mutually exclusive categories that have absolutely no numerical relationship. Hang with me. Let me give you an example. So if you're conducting healthcare research and you, in your research, you're trying to show something uh, maybe it's the um, number of people that have heart disease, and you're going to look at two different groups. One of your groups is going to be smokers, and the other group is going to be non-smokers. So you're actually just having two groups, smokers versus non, and they don't have a uh, relationship with each other. Smokers are not better, and non-smokers are worse. <laughs> they don't have a relationship. There's no numerical relationship. It's actually just a group of people. It'd be like the same thing, like if you live in a certain area and you want to know how many Republicans live in this area versus Democrats live in an area. You're just looking at two different groups, but they don't really have a relationship. It's just how many Republicans do you have versus Democrats? Which one's higher? Which one's lower? And the same thing in your research study. You know, did more smokers have heart disease than your group that was non-smokers? Okay. So nominal data, what we're most concerned with is the uh, the number in a set that shows mm -hmm. up the most frequently or the most often. There you go. Beautiful. Yeah. And then at the end, somebody wins. You either have more <laughs> smokers or non-smokers or more Democrats or more Republicans. Well, we you live know? in Texas, so I'll just let y'all assume what we have in Texas. <laughs> what we have more of. Yeah. But they don't, they don't have a numerical relationship. Just because there was 20 Republicans and 19 Democrats doesn't mean Republicans are better. Exactly. Exactly. More of them. So that's what the mode is telling us. How many, you know, what's the most frequently occurring number? Who wins in the end? Got it. Okay. Which one is next? What shall we cover next? I think the next sequence we want to go up to, let's, let's move up to mean. So mean is a useful statistical analysis. It's used in research and um, it is analyzing uh, ratio and interval data. Now that's not nominal. Okay. These are two different types of data and, and kind of hang with me and I'll, I'll walk you guys through this. So what is mean? Let's start there first. The mean, the mean is an average. That's the word you got to remember. The mean is an average of all of your data gathered. So the average is mathematically figured by adding all your data together and dividing it by the number of items. So if I give a quiz in my class, mm -hmm. 
and, you know, I've got 10 different grades. I'm going to add all my grades together and I'm going to divide it by the number of people who took my quiz, which was 10. And that's going to give me an average score. Got it. It's easy to remember. So like I said, mean is useful when we're analyzing ratio and interval data. So unlike nominal data, interval data um, is two values with an equivalent distance between them. So for example, I'll use uh, something we do in clinic. We take people's temperature. (laughs) We use a thermometer. So the degrees are all equal distant from one another. So Uh, A temperature of 98 is one degree less than a temperature of 99 and two degrees less than 100. These values are equal distant from one another. So if a research was conducted to determine the average temperature people run when they contract, let's say, COVID-19, these temperatures are considered interval data. What is the average temperature that people who have COVID-19 have? Mm -hmm. And this helps doctors treat and triage patients. So that's interval data. And you can see why that's useful for when you're calculating a mean. The other data is ratio data. These are values with an equivalent distance between them that also have an absolute zero point. Zero means, and zero in this scale means like the absence of something. Zero means it doesn't exist. So this type of data offers the ability to apply arithmetic when you're comparing data. Got it. An example I can give you instead of using Fahrenheit to calculate temperature is using the Kelvin scale in research. So all the degrees are uh, the degrees are equal distant from one another. A hundred is higher than ninety nine by one degree in the Kelvin scale. Zero degrees represents the complete absence of heat, where molecules have completely stopped moving. So that's the difference. And you can see why mean would be useful for both of that type of data. Definitely. And I think mean is what most, you know, RDHs, students, educators are most familiar with. That's the most common thing that we hear. What was the average on the test? What was the average on the quiz? <laughs> What's the average for the national board exam kind of thing? So, yes, mean. And why do you want to know that? You want to know it because you want to know how your score compares. Exactly. You want to compare. Des- is described to other people's. And so the last one, we of course, we went over um, mode, whatever, mean. Let me hit the last sure. one, which is median. Yeah. Median is used when researchers are using interval or ratio data, just like we talked about in mean, but we're also going to be using it with ordinal data. So... What is the median? The median is the middle score in a set of data. Mm. So it's not the average. It's not the most frequent. It's what is the score that's in the middle of all of your data. Hmm. So in this this type of analysis, if, if you are given this on your board, uh, they're going to give you a set of numbers. And then what you'll need to do is take all those numbers they give you and you need to list them in either ascending or descending order. Put them in some sort of order, highest to lowest or lowest to highest, one of the two. So that way you can actually find what the middle number actually is. And that is going to be your median. Now it gets a little tricky because it's really easy if they give you an odd number of data, right? They give you five numbers. The third one on your list is the median. That's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's two above it. There's two below it. And the middle one 
The number three, data is your median. Gets trickier when they give you an even number. Mm. So they don't give you five numbers. So let's say they give you a six. So it's like, man, which one's actually in the middle? Don't get stressed out if you get that. What you're going to do is you're going to take take those six numbers, list them in either highest to lowest or lowest to highest. Take the middle two numbers. So that would be number three and number four. Average them together. And that is going to be your middle number, your median number. Ah, so we're actually using the mean to determine the median for a set of even it. numbers. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. And you know, that's the one they're going to oh, give you. Of course, because why, <laughs> of course that's the one why make get. it yeah. easy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with median, just to wrap up median, um, like I said, researchers will use interval and ratio data, you know, numbers that actually are equal distant from one another, or they can use it with ordinal data. So if you conduct research that reports ordinal data, this ordinal data reports categories of data that are ranked in some sort of empirical order, some sort of order that means something to somebody. And all dental hygienists on this podcast are going to relate to this because this is what we do with our AAP stages. Mm. You know, we have an AAP stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. Well, think about that. A stage one is not equidistant from a two. It's not equidistant from a three. There's actually a lot of criteria that go into a one that are different than a two, a three, and a four. So this is data that is ranked in some kind of empirical order. And what we've decided, or we didn't decide it, the AAP decided it, a four is severe disease and a one is less severe disease. Mm -hmm. But we're the one that created that analysis, that empirical order, if you will. Beautiful. Wow. Okay. Well, I think that was a really, really great summary of mean, median, and mode. Kind of to close up here, I'd like to ask you a question. I'm going to go ahead and read it and give you the options and then ask you what the answer is. So, mean, median, and mode are examples of which type of descriptive statistics? A, measures of central tendency. B, measure of dispersion. C, standard scores. Or D, normal distributions. What do you think? I was giving everybody a minute to think there. Get this right, get this wrong, it's okay. The right answer should be A, measures of central tendency. Perfect, perfect. Okay, so mean, median, and mode are our measures of central tendency. Lisa, any last tips for our listeners today? Yeah, I just want to encourage you guys that when you graduate and you're out there as a clinically practicing hygienist, use this information that you've learned in your research class and learned in this podcast when you're trying to analyze research to determine how you're going to practice clinical dental hygiene. Make sure that research is reliable, like Amanda said, repeatable, that it hasn't allowed any propaganda or bias into the study and understanding things like descriptive statistics, correlative and inferential help us as dental hygienists make sure that we are reading quality research, especially when we're going to change the way we clinically practice dental hygiene. Like when I had to learn how to use dental lasers and learn how they were going to improve my patient outcomes. 
at the end of my procedures that I was not doing previously. Awesome. So what I get from that, Lisa, is read the peer-reviewed scholarly journal article, not the blog post. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Great summary. Love it. Absolutely. Great. Well, Lisa, I cannot say thank you enough. I truly appreciate your time and you joining us here on RDH Bites. To all our listeners, I hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. This is your co-host, Amanda, with a quick announcement. Have you looked at our VIP package yet? This has everything you need to help pass your national board exam. Whether you live in the United States, Canada, or really anywhere, our VIP package has something for everybody. We have recorded lectures, live lectures, curated and calibrated content made just for you to help you pass. Visit us today at studentrdh.com to sign up and for more information. See you next time.